You're listening to Design Talk, a podcast for conversations connecting design with theory, organizations, business, and impact. Okay, so I'm Alan Higgins. Uh, I'm David Haskin. And uh, I'm very pleased to have John Stern with us today, a technology journalist, historian, and digital archivist, long involved in recording the social history of technology in Ireland. Uh, John, welcome. Um, Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your vision for techarchives.irish? .irish, exactly. Uh, Tech Archives, it's a project that um, I'm the founder, started seven years ago. Um, The idea is to make sure that Ireland's history with information technology is is captured and preserved. Uh, So we started off by getting people to tell their stories. So we we gather personal testimonies from people who worked in different aspects of of the technology back in the 20th century. Um, And then I teamed up with uh, an experienced digital archivist who uh, uh, designed a repository which allows us to capture anything that can be digitised and, uh, and uh, catalogue it and preserve it. So that's now preserved by the, the National Internet Exchange uh, for, uh, in perpetuity. So we're, 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 we're collecting, digitising, cataloguing and, and uh, uh, storing files that will be available for future generations of researchers. Uh, uh, that's not public. The, the, uh, the, the, the public part is, is, is the, the website, which has testimonies and a set of timelines um, the the themes are things that were particularly interesting in an Irish context. So where where people in Ireland were doing things differently, are are uh, doing things first. They're, they're the themes we picked. Um, it's uh, entirely run by uh, Tech Archives. is entirely run by um, voluntary effort and donated resources. It's not. Uh, uh, it doesn't have any institutional connections. It's completely independent. Um, my background, as, as uh, Alan said, uh, I was a journalist. I wrote uh, in the print media as a freelance in the 1980s. And in 1992, I set up a weekly publication called It's Monday, um, which delivered specialist news by email. Uh, I subsequently found out that it was the first all-digital publication in Europe. Um, there were other people who were making... Um, virtual copies available of print media, but this this was actually the first all-digital publication in Europe. Um, I edited this Monday for about 11 years and um, uh, tried various bits and pieces afterwards and eventually wound up in the history business. So today's conversation, hopefully the first of many, we want to um, talk about multiplier effects and spillover benefits of subsidiaries of multinational firms based in in our case, Ireland, but in any country, so... Uh... Yeah, to test these ideas, we're going to go back 30 years or so to when digital came to Ireland, to my hometown, Galway. Uh, by digital, we mean the company, also known as DEC, or Digital Equipment Corporation. So let's start with the DEC story. Um, who were the main actors at the time? How did it all come about? Okay, well, I think that the, the way to position this is to say uh, if there was ever a company town in Ireland it was it was Galway when 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 deck as everyone called it uh, digital was there uh, uh, in terms of scale and in terms of contribution to national G- GNP uh, there was never anything like it before and I don't think since uh, so it's a story it's a story of a company town but let's let's go back to the beginning um, deck started in the 1950s um, Ken Olson was a researcher at uh, MIT in Massachusetts, and he was one of the first people who worked with um, computer designs based on transistors instead of based on vacuum tubes. Uh, In 1957, um, he uh, raised some money and and, uh, set up digital equipment. Uh, In 1960, uh, digital launched its first computer, the PDP-1, and it went on to... to, uh, uh, introduced a succession of um, mic- of mini computers during the the, the 1960s. Uh, I think it's important to say, Deck was Ken's company. Um, this is a time when a lot of technology companies were so sort of run by great men. Okay, he was he was the the, the uh, classic example of that. Um, he ran the company for 35 years, and that was definitely too long. And we can come back to why it was too long and and how that influenced Galway later on. 
Um, by the end of the 1960s, um, Tech had sold 8,000 computers, including about 1,800 in Europe. Uh, it hadn't really gone very far outside Massachusetts. It had a bunch of facilities there, uh, but it was very much still based where it had been set up in a in a former woolen mill in Maynard, incidentally. Um, they started to, to stretch out. They start, First of all, they opened a manufacturing facility in Puerto Rico, and then they opened one in California. And they, they reckoned that they needed a, some kind of manufacturing presence outside the U.S. Um, let's look at the context in 1970. Um, Ireland wasn't in the, what was then the EEC yet, uh, but it had applied to become a member. Um, the EEC had very heavy tariffs on imports from outside, and in order to avoid those tariffs, a company like DEC would need to prove that 50% of the value of its products was, was uh, produced within the EEC. Uh, so the, the, uh, the challenge for DEC was to, to find a way of ramping up very quickly to get to 50% of value added in Europe so that it could avoid these tariffs. Um, the other thing to say about DEC is that it was, like all of its peers, it was very vertically integrated. It did, it did everything in-house, you know, the CPUs, the, the uh, peripherals, the uh, system software, um, th th there were very little shares, very few f shared technologies, and in fact there was an antipathy in the industry towards shared technologies. Um, nowhere more so in the mind than in the mind of Ken Olson. He just didn't want anything to do with industry standards. Uh, in later years, he, he, he famously said that the Unix operating system was like a Russian truck. He didn't want anything to do with it. Um, so. The plan was to, to gradually ramp up a manufacturing presence in Europe that would do all kinds of things um, because the company was, was, was so diverse. And it's also important to say that uh, b being an engineering company and having customers in industry and in engineering, uh, there was no one-size-fits-all computer. They had a bunch of different computers, uh, and not just that, they had a bunch of different operating systems. Uh, and all kinds of options available for the, for those, those those computers. So it was quite a complex product lineup. Uh, as I say, they wanted a, a manufacturing presence in Europe, and uh, for reasons best known for themselves, they only wanted to do it somewhere that was English-speaking. Um, they already had a presence in Reading in England, a small engineering group there. Um, now, the company histories are, are, are a bit um, vague on this, but they... Uh, uh, they were discouraged from growing the group in Reading. And reading between the lines, I think it's because the British government in those days was had recently forced all the computer companies in Britain to combine into one, and it was pushing it. and wasn't going to do anything to make, to li make life easy for an American computer company. But uh, uh, DEC was told it, it, it would not uh, be allowed, or uh, it would not get government approval to expand its uh, operation in Reading into a manufacturing operation. It did so in later years, incidentally, but uh, in, in, in 1970 that wasn't the case. So they looked for another, another English-speaking country in Europe and um, ended up talking to the IDA. Um, at that time, the IDA had a policy of only supporting manufacturing activities in the regions. It would never back something in Dublin. But if, if a company was willing to go somewhere else in the country, it could be very generous. And uh, in the case of DEC, it actually granted a, um, uh, a zero tax arrangement, a concession that actually ran until 1990. And again, that date is relevant. Um, but uh, DEC came in, uh, it was announced in 1971, and it ramped up very quickly. Uh, Galway kind of suited it because it did have a reasonably large population base, but most important, it was near an airport. And in the early days of tech, they wanted to fly in cargo planes full of kits, have them assembled in Galway, and shipped on to customers in Europe. So they wanted to be near an airport, they wanted a reasonably large population, they wanted to operate at scale, and it was nice as well that Galway had a university, so that, that suited them. Uh, so they came in in 1971, in the Murview estate in in, uh, in Galway, and uh, ramped up pretty quickly. So you stole our thunder on asking about Galway, but uh, Dex corporate culture. Um, do you have any comments on that? What was it perceived to be like at the time? Run by engineers, run by a particular type of electronic engineer. 
uh, as I say, they they, uh, they they were not interested in industry standards. They were not interested in focused product lines. It was it was um, uh, quite a distinct type of engineering company, and also a distinct type of computer company. Uh, Deck and its counterparts, like um, Data General, like Hewlett Packard, like like uh, Prime, um, they were. Uh, this, they, they position themselves to be very different from the big mainframe companies like IBM. Now, DEC did make mainframes. It had a system called the DEC system, and, and uh, UCD ended up running one of those. Um, but basically, it was, it was it was a mini computer company at a time when mini computers were, were cool technology. Um, think of um, you know uh, the internet and mobile networks in the 90s being being what everyone wanted to work in. Mini computers were that in the 1970s. Um, it was also rigorously anti-union. Now, a lot of American companies are rigorously, rigorously anti-union, but uh, DEC probably more than most. Do we have time for a little digression into what happened in Galway? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. I just need to dig up a quote here. Okay, so the first manager in Galway was an American called Cy Kendrick. Um, this is from a company history published in 1992, quoting Cy Kendrick. Uh, most everything in Ireland was unionised at that time and we agreed from the start that if any of our employees ever felt they needed to be represented by a labour union, we would recognise it. After a while, the union start, started getting a bit nasty, so they put up posters and invited themselves into the lunchroom one afternoon at the close of business. I remember seeing my whole test department coming down the street en masse and saying, here's Fuzzy and his boys, and oh God, here we go. So they sat down and this red-haired fellow stood up and said, who invited you people down here? They said, well, we, you didn't really invite us. We, we asked to come. And the kid said, we'll send for you when we need you. The other one jumped up and said, you know, when I came to work for this company, I was a guard on the door, and now I'm an electronics technician. Another one jumped up and said, I've got a sister who works down at Leiden's Bakery. Why don't you go down there? They gave them a terrible time. The union went away and never came back. There's a lot, a lot of background to that. Um, as I say, Dex's anti-union stance was typical of American companies. Um, but what was going on with the employees? Um, I think first thing to say is that from the start, DEC was a very flat organization and career plans were very fluid. So if you went in the bottom and you signed up for, for uh, tuition in the evenings, you could actually move very quickly and the guys liked that. Uh, but there's something more fundamental going on here. I think in information technology um, individualizes work. I mean, people who are... Who are um, uh, uh, debugging a board are, are doing final tests and assembly on, on a system are really working away on their own uh, getting their own satisfaction or frustration from the work they don't feel like they're part of a collective process and that's like the opposite of tra traditional trade unionism I don't think the trade union had a clue what was going on at the factory, I don't think they had any idea what sort of work was involved and that culture cl clash came to a head uh, in, in the early days in Galway as, as you can see from that quote. I'll put a positive spin on it. It's like the company wouldn't encourage unions and in fact probably organised itself to address the needs that employees might have by resorting to a union. So becoming that kind of workplace that is very empowering and uh, supporting and the sort of workplace you want to stay in, is that uh, too, too gushing? Um. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I think the the sort of social life came afterwards. I mean, they invested a lot in in, in uh, uh, services for their employees, but I don't think it was that 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 uh, really re resonated in the early days. I think it was the fact that you could work in a factory and actually have your eyes opened up to all kinds of career possibilities in a way that wouldn't have happened in Leiden's Bakery. There's also the element of the grass is greener on the other hill, but in Galway at the time, there was no other hill to look at. So digital was probably the best option and working there was actually really enjoyable. So in terms of a union coming in, there probably wasn't much to grasp at for the, for the guys. Yeah, and remember this, this was the first instance, this was the first time that a, a, a large American computer company had set up an operation like this in Ireland. Everyone was learning. So it was, it, was, it was new territory for all involved. Um, so just, just looking at the history of, of DEC Digital, they had a reputation for being um, in innovative. Uh, was that reputation warranted? Was it, was it fair? Uh, yes, on balance it was. Um, 
let, let, let's go back to how the, the, the company evolved. Um, they had sold 8,000 computers in their first 13 years. They had sold, they sold 200,000 in the next 10 years. It ramped up very, very quickly. It was, it was expanding all over the world. And by the uh, late 70s, there were manufacturing operations within Europe alone. They had um, uh, Reading, as I mentioned, Air in Scotland, Kaufbeuer in, in Germany, Valbonne in France, Nijmegen in the Netherlands. I'm probably missing one or two. But it, it, it grew very rapidly and it diversified very rapidly. Um, the PDP-11 computer, which came in in 1970, was hugely su- successful. And in 1978, Tech introduced the Vax computer, which was even more successful. Um, they they were they were very good at at bringing the kinds of products that engineering users wanted to market as and when they wanted them, and uh, and they they grew they grew very very rapidly. Uh, so yes, was it innovative uh, certainly in the 1960s, 1970s, arguably the 1980s. Um, in the 1980s, they they got wrong-footed by, first of all, the personal computer, which they didn't, they didn't understand. Um, this was an engineering company, and uh, its attitude was, well, if people want personal computers, we'll give them a bunch of them. Uh, so they actually brought out three different incompatible personal computers with uh, different sets of operating systems on them, choices of operating systems, uh, at a time when uh, most of the world wanted to standardize on a particular standard uh, commodity-like personal computer. So they missed, they missed the PC boat completely. Uh, as I say, they, they didn't like Unix. Unix was, was, was ramping up in the 80s, became uh, the operating system that everyone adopted, and that meant that the software industry could, could rally around a, a, a single platform. Uh, tech didn't really want to know. I mean, because it tried everything, it had, a, it had Unix offerings, multiple Unix offerings. Um, but it, it, it really wanted to do, produce its own operating systems. And if it had its own way, it would, it would again with the Vax have had multiple operating systems doing different things. In fact, what happened in the end was that it, 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 it tolerated Unix while pushing the VMS operating system, and that became almost cult-like. Um, but uh, uh, innovative in the 60s and 70s, faltered in the 80s, and then things went wrong in the 90s. Um, after 35 years, Ken Olson stood down in 1992, and uh, the the corporation was very big. It had a very big and demanding customer base, uh, and it, it, it lacked focus. It was it was uh, it wasn't clear where it was going at a time when the industry had changed. That's fascinating um, to hear the sort of reflection on the that inflection point um, and some of the actors at the time. We've all read Soul of a New Machine by Tracy Kidder and talking about Data General, and for them the big competitor was DEC and the VAX. And can I just add here, the most impressive person I ever met in the IT industry was Tom West, who's the central figure in the Silver New Machine, fascinating guy in Data General. He more or less drove the company until his eyesight went and he couldn't do it anymore. Uh, amazing guy. Yeah, um, so, so digital setup in Ireland, uh, we've spoken about Galway. Um, like Ireland in the 70s, it was a different landscape in terms of, of setup and what was available. What other sites did uh, digital set up in Ireland? Because it wasn't just Galway. It wasn't just Galway, and it wasn't just one place in Galway. I mean, they had multiple buildings in Galway from from the mid seventies onwards. Their main um, base was was in Ballybrit, but they kept a presence in Murview as well. Uh, they had one or two buildings in Murview, and then they kept on adding more modules to their complex in Ballybrit. It became huge, um, so it. it um, uh, it grew, and then they set up in 1970. Let's check the date. 1978, they set up uh, uh, another base in Clonmel. Uh, its role was to um, produce uh, networking, communications, and power products for Europe. And because European standards were different from American standards. Clonmel did original product development in a way that, that Galway didn't. Galway did a certain amount of product revision, what they called value engineering. They would take an existing product and they would work out how to use cheaper components or how to change the manufacturing process. Uh, but Clonmel had, a, had a, a, a product design and development brief that Galway didn't have. So you could say that the, um, uh, the, the, the more prestigious location in the 80s was, was actually Clonmel. Uh, also, it's worth saying at this stage that 
Deck was the first, but uh, a lot of other American computer companies came into Ireland uh, in the years that followed and looked at Deck as the role model. Uh, so by the 1980s, you had dozens, probably 30 or 40, mostly very small, uh, uh, American-owned com uh, computer faci facilities in Ireland, all competing for engineering talent, of course. Um, so uh, the, what DEC started had, had mushroomed within the first 15 years or so. So DEC paved the way in many respects. Um, what were its interactions with the sort of political scene in Ireland and Europe? Um, well, first of all, let's talk about Galway. I mean, the, um, the local politics unfolded exactly as you'd expect things to unfold in a company town. Um, when Tech wanted something from the elected representatives, they would help. When um, they wanted something uh, in terms of, of, of money for um, uh, the arts festival or the Galway races or, or even things like public parks or computers and s computer facilities in schools, uh, Tech would oblige. So uh, it, was, it was a model corporate system, not, of, not only in Galway, obviously, this is what they did everywhere. Um, so this is going both ways. It went both ways, but let's 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 just look at what happened. Uh, the most significant result was that Tech became the default computer supplier to the Irish public sector. Um, not so much the government departments, although social welfare was huge. And we can, maybe we should come back to social welfare. That's an interesting one. Um, but uh, virtually every state agency had a had a PDP eleven and or a VAX in the in the the uh, the 70s and 80s. Uh, Dex market share in Ireland was higher than any other country in the world. Um, and the mutual support got twisted into a very bizarre form in in, uh, in Clamell. Um, the, in the 1980s, the European Commission was very keen to uh, subsidise uh, applied research and development. And in particular, it wanted the big European firms that always operate as their own national champions in their own countries to work together, to um, do pre-competitive research and development together, uh, and to pick areas where Europe could match what was going on in the States and indeed in Japan. Japan so this, this is this. the likes of Siemens and uh, Ericsson's? And exactly, yeah. And uh, computer companies like, like uh, Bull in France, Olivetti in Italy, ICL in, in Britain. Um, uh, Nixdorf computer in, in, in Germany. Philips at that time was actually a computer manufacturer as well. So there were, there were 12 big European corporations and they were asked to, to, to um, resolve their, 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 their differences and work together to, to strengthen information technology in Europe. So that became the Esprit programme. Uh, so the Esprit programme, I think the first round ended in, in or around 1985. Um, and at that stage, it became obvious that the smaller countries needed some special assistance uh, to, to contribute to Esprit. And the European Commission wanted to put a, put a pot of money into, into Ireland to, to uh, uh, develop research competence here as well. Um, what it wanted to do, having surveyed what was available, was to back the Distributed Systems Group in Trinity, um, which was very well regarded internationally, and that's where Iona Technologies eventually came from, like in 19, not until 1992. But it was it was where the, the the company, the software company that put Ireland on the global map, came out of Distributed Systems Group in Trinity. Way back in the in the in the in the mid 80s, the European Commission wanted to uh, to accelerate that, um, but the government uh, lobbied hard uh, to stop them from putting money into Trinity and and put money into Clamell instead. It wanted the European Commission to back an American computer company. Um, the rationale, I understand, was that um, the, the state agencies, especially the National Board for Science and Technology, which is responsible for technology policy, uh, saw an opportunity to encourage all the American firms to come into Ireland to do research and development. And if the, the role model that was digital did it first, others would follow. So that, that was what the... the, 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 the Authorities in Ireland wanted, uh, so it came. It came to the point that um, uh, things were fudged. Uh, Clonmel was allowed into a spree. In particular, it, it, it uh, made significant contributions to a strand to a strand of a spree that, that um, looked into computer integrated manufacturing. Uh, but the Commission still funneled money into Trinity, and that eventually paid dividends long after Clonmel closed down. 
That's really interesting. It, and initially, I was thinking, was that sort of corporate capture of the polity? But actually, I think politically, it was probably strategic too in, in terms of bringing in American multinationals in the long for the long haul. And something else to take account of as well. You, you have American multinationals in Ireland, but you have Irish managers in those in those corporations who, who, who are following their own agendas. Uh, so they will quite happily do things that'll that'll uh, uh, develop the infrastructure in Ireland in a way that the parent company might not be too interested in. Um, just something you touched on there around the um, the uh, Department of Social Enterprise, the the social welfare. In the eighties, Ireland was going through a recession. That was a big part. Became really really big. Do you want to just do you want to maybe expand on that? You mentioned digital's uh, involvement in that. Okay. Uh, the Department of Social Welfare installed dozens of digital computers. I mean, it had a big, a big network. It ran the entire system on, on digital technology. No, no other country did the same thing. Um, so Tech saw an opportunity to export this expertise and launched a, pro a project called Presidium, um, which uh, aimed to package the expertise in the Department of Social Welfare in a way that it could be applied elsewhere. Um, Presidium got, uh, persuaded the, the government in Zimbabwe to let it develop a social welfare system there. And a bunch of tech people and others, uh, in particular people from a, a Dublin company called IT Design, went off to Harare to work on it. Um, this was at a time when, um, let's say, the, the government in, in Zimbabwe was not entirely uh, straight. Uh, so uh, the project went ahead and they, they set up a social welfare system and uh, most of the money that's collected for the social welfare fund got siphoned off elsewhere and, and uh, uh, the, the project failed and pretty soon um, the economy collapsed in Zimbabwe. Um, what came out of it in the end though was, was uh, that, that, that company, IT Design, that worked in, in Harare uh, d decided to productize a social welfare system and it became Curam Software, which was actually the biggest Irish software company in the early part of the, the of, of the 21st century. So again, that that kind of came out of the relationship between DEC and and the Department of Social Welfare. Um, okay, so through through what we've spoken through, it's very clear digital was embedded in um, you know government. Um, it really became a massive player in the Irish market. It set up a, a template for other American companies to come in. If we fast forward to 1993 and digital decides to close, can we talk through the devastation, the impact that, that had on the, uh, on, the, on the landscape? Well, let's talk about 1993. Uh, January 1993 was when the single European market came into operation. And the single European market was basically a, a, a stimulant for the Irish economy like it never knew before. Um, so, Things were, were, were changing at that time. Uh, I mentioned that when DEC came in, it came in with a tax concession. That ran out. The zero tax concession expired in 1990 um, because of various international agreements that couldn't be renewed. Uh, so that, that had changed for DEC. Um, remember what was happening in the corporation. Ken Olson stepped down in 1992. Uh, a new guy called Bob Palmer came in and uh, he tried to focus the company in a way it hadn't been focused before. Uh, th he wanted to focus it on a technology called Alpha. There was an, uh, an Alpha processor, and DEC built its own wafer fab in Massachusetts to manufacture the Alpha processor. And it, it envisaged a successor range of computers to the VAX based, based on the Alpha processor. Uh, it finally got around to embracing Unix. Uh, it teamed up with Microsoft and embraced uh, Windows NT. Um, it, uh, was very strong in networking, and again, for the first time, it was, it, it was willing to work with other people to uh, develop its networking competence in, in, in collaboration rather than competition. So things were changing in DEC. Uh, but one thing was, was, was for sure was it had too many manufacturing facilities. It had to rationalize. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't looked up the, the, uh, the, the, the corporate finances, but uh, I, know, I know they weren't great, uh, and, and, and the warning signs are all there. Uh, so, so Palmer decided to, to reorient and focus the company in a way it hadn't been focused before, and, uh, and that meant cutting back. Uh, so one way that it was going to cut back was to focus Galway on software. Now, Galway had been involved in software 
distribution and support right from the start. Uh, when tech came to Galway, software uh, distribution meant uh, cutting paper tapes and uh, packaging them up at the computers. Um, but by the 1990s, it is a very sophisticated, uh, probably industry-leading software capability in in uh, in Galway, especially in areas like software licensing management, electronic software distribution, uh, and all the things associated with with uh, localizing software for, for for different languages and legal jurisdictions and and uh, uh, and, and, and and regional requirements. Uh, so. From 1993 onwards, Tech decided Galway was for software. Uh, now it, it had been. Let's just remember, Tech had uh, Galway had been the European manufacturing centre for the Vax family, which was all the medium to large size digital computers. Uh, it generated them. Those computers generate the majority of DEX revenue in Europe, which is measured in billions. I mean, it was a huge, huge business. Um, so it was decided to ramp down the hardware assembly activity at the same time as, as software was ramped up uh, over a number of years. And at the same time, this would coincide neatly with the phasing out of the VAX and the phasing of the Alpha server. So that was, that, that was what was announced in February 1993. Um, as soon as, as it was announced, the headhunters descended on Galway. Uh, let me just look. I, I actually reported this at, at the time. By okay, in in June, the the announcement came. We're, we're going to start phasing it out. That was announced in in, in February. Uh, by June, the IDA had arranged for a new tenant, American Parker version, to take over two thirds of the of the Ballybrick complex. Uh, Ballybrick, by the way, uh, was, was digital's only complex by 1993. Uh, they had phased out uh, Clamell, they phased out Murview. Um, so two-thirds of, 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 of the building and a whole bunch of the people were going to go to American Park conversion. Uh, but even before they announced that, uh, bunches of tech people had gone to, and I have a list here, um, Motorola had a facility in Scotland that took a bunch of people. Uh, it also had a mobile communications uh, factory in Swords that took a bunch of digital people. Seagate was setting up a disk drive operation in Derry. They they headhunted from Galway. Um, Sun was setting up a software function in Dublin. They, they took people from Galway. Uh, and at that time as well, you were starting to get um, uh, the subcontracting of, of uh, final assembly and test. So the companies that were active in that were, 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 were picking, taking their pick from the Galway staff. Also, bizarrely, um, uh, the higher education system uh, wanted former tech people. A whole bunch of tech people ended up as lecturers in the regional technical colleges. Uh, so by, by the middle of 1993, it was apparent that, that uh, um, there wasn't going to be any, any massive unemployment in Galway. Uh, to put it into context, there, there were 780 people who left digital in 1993 in in or after 1993 as a result of the of the decision to 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 uh, to phase out hardware assembly? Uh, many of them went to the to the to the DAC software business, and uh, the rest of them were were very readily soaked up at a time when the electronics and the, the computer industry in general was booming. So an opportunity um, arose. Uh, it, the, the closure led to other openings. What? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, again, it's significant that especially in those early days, it was people leaving a big American corporation to work for other big corporations. Uh, there had always been, let's let's call it, entrepreneurship uh, in 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 DEC. People wanted to move within the organization and would would do everything they could. To, there was a lot of, of international mobility in DEC as well, of course. Uh, so pe people who went to work there tended to see their future. Uh, inside the corporation, um, there was a, a tiny trickle of entrepreneurial activity, and in the 80s, it tended to revolve around Uderos Nageltakta in Kanemura. Um, anyone from DEC who wanted to set up a project would would uh, uh, take off a space in in in, in the Gaeltacht area next to the city, and and start off there. So there was a massive entrepreneurship and a 
tiny little tradition of entrepreneurship. And what happened in 1993 was um, that entrepreneurship got converted into joining other corporations. And there was initially very little entrepreneurship. It followed gradually over the next few years. Do you want to talk about that? Well, let's actually, what lessons did uh, the agencies learn at the time? The IDA, Enterprise Ireland, perhaps, maybe not so much the government, but their agencies um, in the wake of the closure. Um, let's talk about the IDA first. I mean, the IDA dealt with international companies and they, they, they knew what was going on in those companies. And they, 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 they knew what companies were coming up behind the established ones. Uh, so accommodating uh, a change of strategy in DEC uh, was not dissimilar to what the IDA did all the time. I don't think there were lessons learned from DEC in particular. Uh, there was what I would call performative politics went on. I mean, there were, there were government ministers and local TDs who went off to Massachusetts and, and uh, said, uh, said why, why are you closing Galway? Isn't it a great operation? Uh, but that, that was, as I say, just, just, just performative. Um, I think the the uh, the the IDA had a, had a pipeline. Uh, it, it, it knew how to bring in a replacement company like American Power Conversion very quickly, and it, and it did so. Um, at the t- I'm trying to remember what the state agency for Indigenous companies was at the time. I think it was Ferbert, um, and uh, uh, it would have it would have had an inter- infrastructure there for for startups. If, if and when any startups came along. Um, but as I say, it took, it took a few years for the startups to start forming. So we kind of spoke about this earlier on, about uh, uh, myself and Alan actually spoke about it. With these companies, breeds entrepreneurship, uh, confidence in the, lo- in the local workforce, what they want to do afterwards. I think you kind of touched on it there. Was there any companies that bred out from this that, that, that were really successful that we could talk through? There were a bunch of companies. I, I've, I've put together a list. Um, okay, the first was a company called QSAT, which is in the software engineering training and, and, and tools area. Uh, it didn't last, but it had successor companies that did last. Um, in 1993, uh, around about the time of the, of, the, of, the, of the tech announcement, a company called Silicon Systems Design Startup, later became known as Parthos. It, it, it was an integrated circuit company formed by former Clamell people. That, that actually got some scale, and uh, it's taken over after, after a few years, but got some scale before it did. Uh, Toucan Technology, another integrated circuit design company, which uh, you know all about, I think, Dave? Yeah, uh, yeah, I know Brian, Brian Campbell that was involved in that, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was bought by um, PMC Sierra in 2000. Uh, there was Cybernet, which um, worked in embedded systems and speech technology, that's still trading. So is Storm Technology, software services company. There was Menlo Park Technologies, later known as Copper Fasten Technologies. Um, again, that was a bit later, and uh, we should probably talk about what happened to the former DEC organization first, but it got, it got involved in internet security after, the, uh, after it became a, uh, a software center. And uh, Menlo Park Technologies was one of the most, later known as, later known as Copper Fasten, was one of the most significant companies to come out of that. Um, there was also a company called Irish Emigrant Publications. Uh, there was a, a guy, Liam Ferry, a Scottish guy, who was an engineer in DEC in the, in the 1980s. And uh, a lot of DEC people, as I say, went, left Galway and went to work elsewhere. And he started sending out um, uh, news from Ireland to the former DEC people who'd gone abroad. Uh, now, he just borrowed stories from other media. He didn't write anything original. But he would, he would put together a weekly package of news and he would send it out over the digital corporate network. And uh, I found myself in a bar in Boston one evening in 1987, I think it was, and, uh, and the Irish emigrant came in. This was, this was uh, you know, photocopies of something off the DEC corporate network, which had uh, you know, the, the very parochial news from Galway, all the sports results. Uh, and uh, the guys in the bar just, just descended on it. Uh, this, the, I mean, the, 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 this was. The, remember, pre-internet, pre-email. E- at this stage, was still a corporate function. Okay, um, uh, uh, but but this was this was a, a, something that was a real demand for. Uh, so Liam, when when the hardware engineering closed, one of the first companies to form was was uh, was Liam's company, Irish Emigrant Publications. So that stage, he wanted to do was to um, uh, get recruitment companies to uh, place advertisements in his publication. 
and, and, and commercialise it in that way. So that, was, that was one of the, the uh, more idiosyncratic startups to come out of, 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 uh, of DAC. The other major fo- piece of fallout was Mentec International. Mentec was a Dublin company, um, but it had a long association with DAC, and it used the PDP-11 technology to, to uh, build its own single-board computers for industrial applications. Um, and it also developed things like video, its own video conferencing systems based on DEC technology. Uh, so it was very closely embedded with DEC. And as DEC ramped it down, it eventually bought out the PDP technology. Uh, it became the owner of PDP-11 at the end of the day. Uh, so Mentec was, was, was a significant beneficiary of, of, of the, the, the collapse of DEC. Let's go back to Galway and look at what happened after the, after the, uh, the, the 1993 announcement. Um, they ramped up the software business. As I say, the software business was quite sophisticated. But they also started to do other things on the back of it. Has anybody heard of AltaVista? Okay, AltaVista was Google before Google. It was the, the original internet search engine. And it was a, it was, it was a DEC technology. And uh, this was in the years between, well, DEC was acquired by Compaq in 1998. But 1993 to 1998, DEC tried a whole bunch of new things, and was, it was pretty good at capitalizing on early internet requirements. And AltaVista was, was uh, first of all, it was, it was a search engine. It was also a product suite. And part of that product suite was, was, was developed at the Software Center in Galway. In particular, um, uh, the Galway people became expert in firewalls. Uh, so there was a very significant firewall development. Something else that nobody foresaw was that a tiny little group that um, had more or less set itself up in Galway started to specialise in supercomputing, very high-performance computing issues. Um, they, they teamed up with specialised technology vendors who had the hardware and they did the software and they did the project management. So a lot of the biggest supercomputing projects in the, 1990, in the 1990s were supported by DEC engineers from Galway, uh, up to and including the, uh, the project that mapped the human genome. Um, so there was all kinds of interesting stuff went on in Galway in that interim period. I should also say that in, in, in those years, DEC accumulated patents at an alarming rate, and, and, and a few of those patents came from Galway as well. Uh, so thing, things didn't stop in Galway at all. Uh, the, the software organization matured very quickly. Um, it uh, got heavily into user support as well, and as uh, internet connections became feasible, it, it uh, uh, became very, very innovative. So uh, DEC and Galway actually thrived in the, in the, in the mid-90s, um, not by corporate design but because people who had started things in Galway made them happen and continue to make them happen. The big challenge came in 1998. Compaq bought digital equipment. Um, Remember I said DEC was a company run by Massachusetts electronics engineers. Well, Compaq was run by German accountants from Texas. Uh, It regarded computers as tradable commodities like pork bellies in Chicago. Um, uh, it didn't understand the deck mindset at all. There could probably not have been a worse parent organization. Uh, what Compaq wanted was they wanted to get into serious computing. They were a PC company and they wanted to get into, into large systems. They bought Tandem Computers, a California, it was a great company, California company, again, one of these one-man companies run by a guy called Jimmy Tribig. Uh, but it had a great technology and uh, uh, Compaq bought it and didn't, did, that didn't work out. So they, they were cash rich and they went to look for an, another company and DEC was available. Uh, the public statement said that what they wanted from DEC was its services expertise and certainly DEC had superb customer services expertise. Uh, the problem was Compaq was the wrong parent. Um, the Compaq ownership lasted until the day that the Twin Towers came down. Uh, the uh, Compaq was acquired by Hewlett Packard on the 11th of September, or the announcement was on the 11th of September, 2001. Uh, So there were, and the deal was consummated in in 2002. Um, But in Galway in those years, the 
former deck people just kept their heads down, doing what they did, and, and, and hoped that nobody in compact would notice what they were doing. And that was really how, how, how they operated. Uh, when HP bought Compaq, there was unrestrained joy in Galway. Suddenly, they had the kind of they were part of the kind of organisation they wanted to be. Uh, all kinds of plans that they had drawn up and, and put on a shelf could be dusted down. Uh, the guys, the management in Galway, was saying, "This is great. We're as HP, we're going to take on IBM in a way that IBM has never been taken on before." Um, it was it was going from from um, day to night and back to day again. It was it was it was very very stark. Well, I think uh, we're probably going to have to have another interview at some point to talk about that phase of both the industry and also what happened to these companies in and the impact on Ireland. And we've only talked about one company. I know, I know. All kinds of other stories going on at the same time. Can we uh, take some questions from the audience? Um, introduce yourself. Okay, yeah, my name is Max. Hello. Um, what was the reason Alta Vista didn't succeed, the, the search engine? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, other, other people come up with search engines as well. It was it was the first. Um, others followed, and and the one that knocked out the rest was Google. That's what happened. I think as well, um, Alta Vista. It actually came out of California. There was a there was a deck office in California, and it was very again very much. Um, I'm trying to remember her name, but there was very much one woman who ran it. And as soon as Alta Vista took off, um, deck decided that it was going to have a complete product suite called AltaVista. So the effort got diluted into all kinds of other internet-related products. Um, but uh, things are moving very fast. I mean, you, you've got to remember how fast the internet moved in the 1990s. Um, it, up until 1994, it was really only su- suitable for um, email and, and, and bulletin boards. Uh, in 1994, the first real browser came along and HTML took off and the, and the World Wide Web happened. And that mushroomed very quickly, and um, uh, it, it became a cluster. It became the fashionable place to be, and things moved very, very fast. Alta Vista was a blip, a blip in that really rapid motion through the mid to late 1990s. Um, so I have, would have a question. Uh, hi, my name is Elena. What would you say other like big tech companies in today's time can learn? Well, um, I think that the history of deck is very much tied in with its own era. Uh, I don't want to be evasive. I mean, you can always learn from history. Okay, uh, certainly there were there were there were things that deck did wrong, especially in the area of collaboration and standards, which have been learned by the industry as a whole. Um, I think there were things that were learned in terms of the organisation of manufacturing that the industry as a whole has learned from and is still learning from. Um, the transition from from um, hardware to software actually happened at the end of the 80s, start of the 90s, and that that, that, that happened. Even even if you went to if you went to the Silicon Valley in the 1980s, uh, you could see how the traditional hardware-oriented companies were losing out to a new generation of database makers, um, uh, enterprise resource planning companies. Um, uh, software engineering tools and middleware companies. Uh, you know the 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 focus shift from hardware to software way back, and and it's, it, it, it's happened here like everywhere else. Um, let, let's just staying in Galway. Uh, you could you could you could look at the evolution of digital in Galway as one example of that. You could also look at the evolution of of Northern Telecom, which is later known as Nortel and and, and Avaya. Um, it, it came to it actually. It actually opened uh, in the seventies in the same building that Deck had originally occupied in nineteen seventy one, uh, and it came in to do uh, assembly of of uh, uh, public network communications systems. Uh, and by the nineties, it was a software facility doing pretty advanced work on uh, call center applications. Uh, so it made that 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 transition from low-level hardware assembly through to sophisticated software development in in, in pretty much exactly the same timetable as as DEC evolved from hardware to software. So yeah, that uh, that, 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 that that would have been a a transition that really began in the in the 1980s. But there's no there's no neat answer to that question. I've got a hypothetical for you. If it had been Dublin instead of Galway. 
Would it have gone the same way, do you think? No, I think th I think that there were too many linkages formed between Galway and Maynard, Massachusetts. It just became something that took off and developed its own momentum. I don't think that would have happened if Deck was one of several U.S. companies with, with facilities in Dublin, as for example Amdahl was. I mean, Amdahl was one of the, one of the other big ones. Again, a one-man company, Gene Amdahl, the architect of the dominant mainframe of the 1960s. Um, he, uh, he he built a, a mainframe company that had a very large operation in in, uh, in Swords. Um, uh, it came and went. Not much more quickly than DEC, uh, but certainly it never had the same impact on Ireland as DEC did. Um, question for myself. So growing up in Galway, um, everyone used to speak about when digital announced those job losses, that it was a dev really devastating for the city. But like after talking to you today and, and going through all the, the, the ins and outs that you have more context on, it, it actually was, it, I'm not trying to say it was a good thing, but it, it actually caused um, a, a movement within Galway that seemed to be really beneficial to the city and, and to the workforce. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a good thing. It was obviously very traumatic for, for hundreds of people. So let, let's just resolve that. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the, 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 the net result was, was certainly positive. But even, even at the time, if you went to Galway on the ground, talk to people who knew what was going on, and say, in particular, look, look at what happened in terms of headhunting, um, you, you'd, you'd know that it wasn't uh, a devastation for the Galway economy, anything but. Uh, there, there was, um, let's say, a degree of naivety um, uh, in some of the statements by politicians at the time. Um, okay, well look, John, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks for your time today. That was, that was a really interesting conversation. Thank you very much, and, and, and thanks for your interest in Tech Archives, by the way. Especially Alan. Uh, it's our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. The music used is Voltaic Fluctuations by Ben Prunty and used with his permission.